We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host Nick Delato. Today we're here to break down some offensive tackles coming into the 2022 NFL Draft. New York Giants pick at five, New York Giants pick at seven, at least as of now. And the expectation is they're going to come out of one of those two picks with an offensive tackle. Now, a lot remains to be determined as far, who, as, far as who that offensive tackle is. We're here today to break down two offensive tackles. One we already did, and a second that we haven't done yet. The first, or I should say the first, guy we're going to break down now is Iki Iguanu, Ikem Iguanu, out of North Carolina State. Offensive tackle prospect for the New York Giants or for a bunch of teams interested. And then we're going to compare him to a player we already did, Charles Cross. I don't think we should compare him to Evan Neal, at least I'm not planning to, because to me, Neal is a bit above both of those two players. And if Nick feels otherwise, we can throw him in the mix as well. But... I think we should compare those two because I don't, and, and we'll get to it, but I'm not so sure there's as big of a drop off as some people might think. So let's start with Iquanu because he's a player, Nick, who I went into it thinking I was going to be a little, dis- a little more disappointed by than I was, but I'm not. I really liked watching him on film. He's probably the most fun tackle I've watched, including Neil from this draft class. And that includes Penning too, who I've watched a little bit of and Raymond, who I started to watch a little bit of, but Kwanu is the most fun player by far, I think, because he just explodes into opposing defenders and has the ability to displace them so easily, in addition to just his ability to move in space. And those two athletic traits are going to get you excited, are going to get me excited, and they're going to be fun to watch on film. They're not everything that it takes to play offensive tackles. We're going to get to that in a bit, his strengths, his weaknesses. But as far as just having fun and watching watching these guys on film, it's fun to watch a guy that crazy athletic with that kind of punch and that kind of power and that kind of ability to displace people. So I had a lot of fun watching Iguanu. I'm really excited about him now more than I was before I watched him. But I want to get into your takes on him first. So let's start with some of the strengths you saw on tape when watching Iguanu. First off, Dan, Ikem Iguanu, is there a better playside run blocker than this dude? How many times was he just bullying college edges? And these aren't like FCS guys. These are SEC guys. Against Mississippi State, bro, he was just throwing guys to the ground. It looked effortless just how physical he was at the point of attack on play side stretch zone runs, man. Like I loved it because he would literally displace that edge and throw him on the ground, climb, locate the safety coming downhill or the outside linebacker scraping over the top. And then eliminate him as a play side blocker, Dan. I, I honestly don't think I've seen someone as adept at that specific ability better than Ikemi Kwanu. In how long? In this class, for sure. But yeah. 
honestly, even going back to the 2020 class with that specific run blocking ability, I don't think any of those players had that. Now, Makai Becton, he came from a little bit more of an unconventional offense at Louisville, and he was really good because he was really big and he was athletic for his size. But the pure physical nature that Iquanu has within his skill set is rare. Yeah, it's 100% true. The physical nature in addition to the athleticism, because it's really not just that. It's the speed, it's the length, and it's the strength combined with everything that you just mentioned. And that's what makes him such an interesting prospect to me because he's super adept and athletic at doing things like cutting off defenders on the backside run. You know, there's, you know, everybody talks about that deep shape moment, as they call it, against Louisiana Tech, where he's just coming across the line of scrimmage and cutting off a defender on the backside and, and allowing for the run. But if you look at really just, if you watch a lot of NC State, as you have and as I have, you see that they kind of, in some ways, at least this is my take. I'm curious if you feel this way or don't. I almost feel like they designed their run game or in some ways around what he can do as a blocker. Yeah, absolutely. They would do a lot of play side type of runs to his side where he would just bucket step backward and then locate whoever that contained defender was, bully him out, open up this huge inside the B gap, I guess it would be since it was inside the tackle. A lot of their runs were to his side like that because he has that initial pop, that power on contact explodes through the ground, through his hips, through his defender. And it's not just one pop. Say if he pops him, the defender goes backwards. He's relentless in terms of his competitive toughness to continue and ensure that that block is finished. Like I'm saying, he's an elite run blocker. It's something that I loved to see. And I also thought he was excellent on backside blocks. If he had to cut or scoop block somebody, say if he's you know, playing offensive tackle, he has to scoop block a three technique. He explodes off the line of scrimmage with really good athletic ability, dips that outside shoulder, swivels his hips around and cut off the angle of that, say, three technique and then hold him in place because there's enough functional strength to do so. And this is just somebody who kind of locates people with bad intentions. He wants to finish you. Everyone talks about Trevor Penning this, Trevor Penning that. And yeah, Trevor Penning loves to finish people. But Iquana was more controlled about it, and he's not yeah. like, disciplined about it. That they're like those obviously those two aren't even in the same stratosphere. But if you like somebody who is a dominant run blocker with eye-popping finishing ability, who can execute basically any run block you ask him to. If you want him to do up to the second level, he has it. You want him to kick out in a space, he can do that. He has really good change of direction, lateral agility. His initial quickness off the snap is excellent. Short area quickness onto target amazing how he uses his hands i would say is solid i think that could probably improve a little bit but it's solid he gets inside and then his pure strength and power usually took effect now is that translatable to the nfl i think it's still an elite trait and i think it will translate but he's not going to be able to just bully grown men like he did at the college level but i don't think it's something that is necessarily going to hurt that translation because I think there is a lot of room for development. And I think it was just more than just pure strength. And he was also playing, you know, at the ACC level power five, whereas Trevor Penning was playing at Northern Iowa. This is somebody with excellent body control, excellent balance, uses excellent torque and leverage. He has a wrestling background and I just couldn't appreciate the physical nature of Iquano more. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I love how you describe it. It's different than some of those other guys who are dominant and taking having these dominant reps where they're taking people to the ground because it's controlled. He's so controlled. He's even super, like, even when you watch him on the front side of the, the way they run that zone game, it's like he's controlled and super strong at the point of attack every single time. In addition to having that athleticism, that speed to do things like cut off the defender from the backside of the run. I feel like the other thing I really like so much when I watch him is his footwork and his feet. He's really like for, for someone like him who I know, and we're going to get to this in a bit has struggled in pass reduction. A really doesn't have that many reps at all with vertical sets and with things that you're going to need to see at the next level from a pass blocking standpoint. And overall, I think his pass blocking has a lot of work to go. Like I don't think he's the best pass blocker in this class by any means or anywhere close to it. But as far as just his footwork, especially in the run game, it allows him to kind of have that explosive redirection that he that you can see and displace these defenders and use his hands and his arm length so well in in kind of conjunction in my mind with his, with his feet which are really quick and smooth and to me that shows a different level of athleticism like there are different kinds of people who are bad in pass production there are people there are tackles in my mind who are bad in pass production because they don't have the footwork to be good in pass protection. And those are the tackles I want nothing to do with, to be completely honest. I've made my decision after these last few classes. I'm looking for tackles with good feet. I've seen it with Slater. I saw it with Worfs. I saw it with all these tackles, even Andrew Thomas. All the tackles that have had success 
have that same trait, that really, the really good footwork and the really quick, nimble feet. I think he has that trait despite some of his drawbacks so far as a pass protector, which we're going to get to. I really like that he's a 93rd percentile in the 40-yard dash. The 40-yard dash doesn't mean too much to me, but it does show that he has that ex- those explosive traits, um, and you could see it uh, in his game. A couple other things that I want to talk about with you that are so interesting to me. One, I like this, and I saw this with Charles Cross as well, Nick, and this to me is important. He took a big stride and a big jump from 2020 to 21. To, uh, sorry, to 2021. So that's important to me. It's not, especially for a player like Guanu, who was not a big time former recruit, which I usually look for. Like both Cross and Neo were both big time recruits. And to me, that actually means something. I've seen it throughout the NFL. You can find value that way. Stefan Diggs is a good example. But for somebody like Iquanu, who's not a big time recruit, I like to see the big jump from 2020 to 2021. It shows that he's making progress in within his own game. Um, and so one other thing I want to talk to you about, because it's interesting to me. When I watched him, I feel like, and you can tell me if this is true, because you might have seen someone who you think is better at this. They sometimes use him in unique ways in their run game, Nick. And one of those ways is as a puller. And it almost looks to me like he's as natural in space moving and as smooth and explosive and athletic pulling as a guard. It's crazy to see a tackle have the ability to pull like he does. And yet there are examples of him pulling and just making plays on like in space as a blocker that you would think you would see from a guard. He's excellent at blocking in space. I mean, he played guard, too, back in 2020. I think it was like 239 snaps I have right here at left guard. So that's something that he has done in the past. And you're right. And even on some of those backside blocks that we were talking before, there was this block against Florida State late in the fourth quarter where it was a backside block against a four-eye technique. And it ended up being a space block because he blocked the dude literally 20 yards downfield. And he had this dude. It wasn't Jermaine Johnson, but he cut this guy's angle off to the play side and created this gigantic cutback for the running back to hit because he was blocking this guy well downfield. Once he gets his hands on you, he can just drive through you. If you don't have that type of ability to sink your weight and anchor down initially, he's not going to let go he's going to drive you to the deck through the whistle and not to mention the kid is wildly intelligent he had a scholarship to harvard or scholarship to yale they're very personable as well reportedly so there's a lot to like about ikemi kwanu and i think some people think he might be like scheme specific or scheme dependent i don't think so despite obviously what he played in an nc state that zone heavy scheme you can see examples of him washing down guys allowing for pullers in the run game they had a really diverse run game even though it was mostly zone based. And I think he can, I, I have no qualms about him as having finding success as a run blocker in any system that the giants want to run or any kind of run blocking scheme. Even if it's diverse, who knows what they're going to do. It's kind of undetermined right now. We kind of have an idea of what we think it's going to be, but it's mostly guessing at this point in my mind, at least. And so I feel like he can translate to any run scheme. Well, think about his skill set. Look at his traits, right? He has the experience in a more heavy zone scheme. I even know they, they were a little bit diverse, as you mentioned, that would be the one scheme that people would be like, you know, this guy, he might not fit into that because he's more power-based. Well, that's bogus. He could definitely fit into that. He has the footwork and the athletic ability and the knowledge and the intelligence and the feel of when to climb off combo blocks to do that. Then think about how he can translate into a duo system, which is double team based. You want to displace the defensive lineman and drive him vertically. I mean, come on, of course, Ikemi Kwanu can do that in terms of his play strength, ability to feel combo blocks, similar types of things, the inside zone, only with a little bit of tweaks, he can execute those blocks. And you talk about power gap, he can definitely step back with that inside foot, explode off his outside foot, pull him and locate in the space. You saw that a little bit in his film. And if you want to ask him to down block on a three technique as a play side tackle, yeah, that's one of the more easier blocks to execute. And he would just drive that dude, opening up a much larger alley and then forcing that contained defender to account for so much more space to keep narrow because he drove the three technique off the line of scrimmage. Yeah, it's it's just fun. It's just fun watching him play. He's big as hell and he moves and he moves bodies like and he moves people in the run game like he is big as hell and has that speed and that explosiveness regardless. But I do want to talk about some of the drawbacks. I want to get to get to your concerns with Iquanu and I want to start with some of the things that I've heard. You can give me a true or false on each of these. We'll go one by one. I'll name one, and then you could you could uh, jump in, and it'll be true or false, and then kind of uh, dive into a little bit more if you believe it's true. So the first thing is not a lot of experience in vertical sets, um, pass blocking in general, uh, inexperience there. 
Yeah, I didn't see too many vertical sets, and some at times when I did see him vertical set, I thought he had an issue of letting that, and we'll get into this a little bit as well, letting the wide-angled rushers into that outside shoulder and being a little bit undisciplined with his hips, giving that rusher a two-way go. So when he was vertical setting, or at least setting in space where there was a guard who was occupied with, say, a two-eye technique with a center to, uh, to his side, I felt like it was a little bit unnatural. So I think that is a fair critique. Okay, next one would be he's a little over-aggressive at times in pass protection. Yeah, yeah. There are times where the, the hips, as I said, they're a little bit undisciplined, and there are times where he goes to punch and is leans just a little bit. I don't think it was a huge issue, but mainly another thing about the pass protection to go along with the hips is I felt like the kick slide and the set and the confidence that he had in terms of judging the depth that he was supposed to take against a specific angled rusher wasn't always consistent. I think it was a little raw in that area and that allowed rushers to kind of beat him around the edge. And that's something that it was a little problematic. So just in terms of being a pass protector, I think there was a lot of rawness to that. Okay. How about this one that I've seen? I've seen, and you kind of went a little bit into this, but you can go a little further if you want that his punch is a little bit too high at times and can be problematic for him at the next level. Definitely saw that. I think the punch that he has is phenomenal. I think it's very, very powerful. I think it stuns. I think it's jolting. I think it's difference making. But there were snaps, and I don't have the snaps in front of me, but there definitely were snaps that come to my mind where it was just a little bit too high, and then that allowed these bendier type of rushers to kind of get around him. And there was even a play against Syracuse, I think. And he sets against a five technique, so it's not someone from a really wide angle. And he goes to punch, and he goes to punch on the top end of the player's shoulder pads. And this allowed the player to kind of knock the punch down, and then his center of gravity is high now because he's punching high, so his weight now distributes upward, so now the balance isn't there, so he can't explode off of his feet as well as he typically would. And then all that player needs to do, that defender now, is knock that outside arm down, dip the inside shoulder, and then gain the edge. And he was able to do that. Quarterback got rid of the ball, and I don't think it was a sack, but Equano does not come away looking great in that situation. So I think that's also a fair critique because there were other plays in his film that were similar to that. Okay, one other thing I think that I've seen myself, so I'm curious to get your take, and I've also seen people talk about it as a concern, and this kind of goes to what we talked about a little bit on the Evan Neal podcast, and that's he tends to lean and lunge a little bit too far over his toes at times. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, so Evan Neal was much worse at that as yeah. a run blocker. I think there were times where Iquano was in pass protection, like I said a little earlier, where he gave the defender a two-way go, and he could get beat inside, and his feet would kind of get stuck in mud. There was a play, again, against Syracuse, which wasn't Iquano's best game, where he kicked out in the space, and it wasn't quite a vertical set, but it was a set that required a lot of lateral agility. 
So he wasn't going vertically backwards. So he kind of had to 45 degree set this individual, but he was out on an Island by himself and he goes to open his hips and punch with his inside arm. And in doing so, he lifts his inside leg and just gives this edge rusher an easy inside counter move. And the edge rusher took it and then got right inside to Aquanu's credit. He was able to recover and kind of wash him down the line of scrimmage a little bit. The quarterback ended up having to step into the pocket and he threw the ball. And I don't exactly remember if it was incomplete or, or what happened, but it definitely disrupted the timing of the quarterback. Okay. And I think I agree with you on that as well. I would ask you this too. I would say this is a critique I came up with in his most important matchup and his most difficult match against Florida state and Jermaine Johnson, a player who we went over a couple weeks ago on this podcast, who we both really, really like me and Nick. He didn't have his best game. And in addition to what you were just talking about, sometimes he gets beat by the inside move. He got beat by some outside spin moves there. He was beating the run game, I thought. I know you said it was kind of a back and forth. I felt like the Florida State defense had the edge there against Icky there from just what I saw in that game. I want to get your take on that, him kind of not having his best performance in that game. Yeah, he went up against Jermaine Johnson in that game uh, several times. It wasn't every time Jermaine Johnson aligned on the other, other side as well. But he hit him with a snatch and trap that was pretty solid. And I feel like there were several snatch and traps throughout his film. Now, snatch and trap, we've, we've been over this, is when you break the wrist of the defender when you're engaged with them. So basically, you just swap both those hands down, his momentum comes forward, and then you fall on top of him. And you know what? Aquano, for somebody who isn't great in pass protection, he employed that several times, and it was pretty impressive. But I will say, I think on the whole, I would agree with you. The Florida State film wasn't great and there were times that kind of shocked me and I think it speaks a little bit more to Jermaine Johnson than it does Ikem Iquano where Iquano went to just base block and drive Jermaine Johnson off the edge and he was the play side run blocker and he literally just got stopped in his tracks by this gigantic man who used all of his extension and sunk his weight and Iquano couldn't get any push on Johnson setting the edge and I think it was like a loss of one on that play I think In terms of his pass protection in that game, it wasn't crisp either. Similar issues that I kind of went over already are kind of cropping up in that specific matchup. I'm trying to remember there was this one move against Jermaine Johnson that I feel like he struggled. It was, it might've been the spin move that you were talking about before where Jermaine Johnson caught him off the edge. There was a play in the first quarter. There was a play in the third quarter in pass protection where Jermaine Johnson got the best of him. And I don't think, can you correct me if I'm wrong, Jermaine Johnson sacked the quarterback, but he was definitely kind of, taking advantage of Iquano's raw nature in pass protection. Yeah, you're right. No sacks, but it did. You can kind of see on that snap, like he, he got the best of him and his, and the run game was where I thought it was most. And you brought up, you, you, you illustrated great. There was the one play and it kind of speaks to what you were saying before about the lunging forward where Jermaine Johnson, I had him listed. It was a four eye technique. So he was basically, you know, almost head to head, only a little bit inside shade to Iquanu. And he leaned into Jermaine Johnson and Jermaine Johnson just hit him with his hard outside club, jumped outside of him. And, and Iquanu was left with his, literally his face and his chest looking down at the ground. And then Jermaine Johnson just made a tackle for a loss of, uh, I think a yard or two. So that kind of speaks to what you were mentioning before as well. Just some of those struggles with the leaning and kind of anticipating where a defender is going to be. And then when that defender is really good and he takes advantage of your anticipation that's how you end up with these these negative run plays and it's not something that happened often but against Jermaine Johnson it happened two or three times and that's what I wanted to say because like while it did happen against Jermaine Johnson if you look at the overall body of work he's a really good run blocker on film against most of his competition and I think this more so speaks to Johnson a player who both Nick put me on to Nick was super high on him and I'm now as high on him as, as Nick is. And I really feel like if the, if you told me the giants took Johnson at seven, everyone would lose their minds in this in on giants Twitter. I wouldn't, I'd be like, okay, I can kind of see it. Like I really like this guy. I think he's the best edge setter in this class of all the defensive ends. And that's not something you're set. like, look, I'm the biggest preacher here. You guys have heard me throughout this podcast of prioritize pass rush when you're drafting these defensive linemen. Don't worry as much about the the run stopping stuff because ultimately it doesn't impact games that much. See Dexter Lawrence, see all the guys that we've prioritized in the past under Gettleman, but it means something on, it means to me something on the edge and it shows like a immediately translatable trait. Like I think Jermaine Johnson will come into the NFL and be able to set the edge immediately in that regard. And some guys might struggle with that. You've seen some guys have to play like kind of like, not, uh, you know, complimentary, but like roles in a defense. If they can't, if they can't, if coaches don't trust them to set the edge in the run game, they're not going to be on the field for every snap. And you want an every snap player if you're drafting somebody in the top 10 or the top seven, whatever it may be. And so I, I this to me is less of a knock on Icky and more just 
I guess kudos to Jermaine Johnson. And just to go back to Jermaine Johnson, because we kind of touched on it twice already, that spin move, I just found the play. It was in the fourth quarter, about six minutes left in the game. It was aligned as a five technique, and he just shimmies his shoulders inside, and Iquano gets his feet stuck in the mud. And then before the punch even lands, you have Iquano lean a little bit, but it wasn't egregious. But as he leans, his center of gravity goes up, and the, the spin that Jermaine Johnson hits on him is just fabulous. The body control and the footwork and the ability to reorient himself back into the pocket was great. And kudos to number 54, I believe it was, the guard. He ends up seeing this happen and then bailing Iquano out because the quarterback was about to get annihilated on this play, but the guard got just enough of Jermaine Johnson to allow the quarterback to step up. There's so many plays like that when you watch Johnson. He's just a super underrated player in this class, and I'd be happy if the Giants got him either via trade back. And honestly, at seven, I wouldn't hate it. If they go like Neil and Jermaine Johnson, I wouldn't hate it, even if even over some of these other players that I love. Um, and so we'll see. That's another topic for another time. But I want to talk about one other thing concern-wise. Not concern-wise, but just something I've seen a lot of people speculate on. I'm curious to get your take on. Some people believe that Iquanu will be a much, much better guard at the next level than he is a tackle. And, and they don't think that that means he's going to be a bust at tackle, just that he'd be a much better guard. What are your thoughts on that? I think it makes sense because you see these warts in pass protection. And if you eliminate the fact that you're out on an island and you have to protect your outside shoulder on every single play and worry about inside counter moves like we saw with Andrew Thomas in 2020, if you eliminate those concerns, then you have a guard. And I think that's his floor, right? His floor is being a very, very good guard. That doesn't mean he can't be a very, very good tackle. It's just when you look at Iquanu's evaluation right now, you say, okay, this guy is one of the best run blockers I've ever seen coming out of college, at least in the last, you know, 10 years or whatever. But these pass protection issues will be exploited in the NFL. They will be. And if that happens and he doesn't take to the coaching and he doesn't learn how to properly set or become confident in his set and how to really judge his punch and, and let it be a little bit lower and not as high, if he doesn't learn how to kind of correct all of these deficiencies, then you might have to kick him inside. And worst case scenario, you have a just elite guard. Again, it's a lot of projection, right? Because we don't know how he's going to develop. We know he needs to develop. We just don't know how he's going to develop. But what I will say, and I've, I've made this comparison before in the past, I think on this podcast, and I heard somebody else make this comparison, so it's not mine. They compared Iquanu to Greg Robinson, who was drafted, I think, second overall uh, way back in the day out of Auburn. He was this really uber-athletic offensive tackle, similar to Iquanu, who was excellent as a run blocker but couldn't pass it. I think Iquanu is more advanced than he was as a pass blocker, but he fizzled out of the NFL because he couldn't do anything in pass protection, and he was terrible at pass protecting. But from what I hear from people who are more in the know than I am, he couldn't take to the coaching and it was a coachability issue and he wasn't really too uh, savvy with football. His football IQ wasn't great. It's not Iquanu, bro. Like Iquanu is a very, very smart dude. I mean, like I said before, the scholarships that he had and all the coaches rave about him. Everybody at the senior bowl talked about how infectious his personality is. So I don't think that's necessarily going to be an issue, but anything can happen. Yeah, I want to talk about that because Greg Robinson was a player who I loved coming into the draft. I thought he was going to be a difference-making tackle at the next level. I was like, trade up for him. I was in the trade-up camp. I mean, wherever you are in the draft, doesn't matter. Get this guy, number one overall player type guy. And I think they're different because, I mean, you, you mentioned some of the things that, you know, um, Aquan already does better probably than him. Like, he already can deploy the snatch and trap move and different types of things. But mostly it's the off-the-field stuff. Like, Greg Robinson, not I don't know anything about his football IQ, but thanks for informing me because he doesn't have a high football IQ, but he doesn't have a high real-life IQ. He's a guy who got caught over the border with a lot of drugs and is, like, in jail or something or went to or was arrested, and who knows where his life is now. But he would got chances from every single team, obviously, after being number two overall, and he couldn't put it together. He didn't love football. He didn't care. I don't get any of that feel from Iquanu, so I'm fine with just throwing that out, even though if you want to make the physical comparison, I can understand it completely. Personally, though, I do think like Quanu, at least from what I remember from Robinson, has better footwork and has better quicker yes. feet, and that's dude, important. Can you imagine being the Rams? I mean, they just want to Super Bowl, so kudos to them. But you literally took Greg Robinson over some of the best players in yeah. recent memory. That 2014 draft class was sensational. It really was, <laughs> and he was the second overall pick, and the third was Blake Bortles. Oh. Jeez. What makes them feel better about it, though, is they a few picks later, they did get Aaron Donald. Yes, yes, that's very... And shout out Ron Schneier, who said the Giants should have taken Aaron Donald. He said it the 
day of. He said it the months leading up to it. That's my dad, by the way. He was the biggest Donald fan ever. Even after Odell Beckham broke out, he was like, you'll see, Dan. Don't worry. You'll see. This will, We'll look back on this, and we would have wished we got Aaron Donald. And he was right. Even as, as high as the, the heights that, that Odell Beckham reached, even if he continued on that span, I still would have rather had Aaron Donald. I'd much rather have the unique unicorn defensive tackle who can rush the passer the way he does and just totally wreck it, havoc on games than the wide receiver, the diva wide receiver. But Big Steve, uh, my father, he he loves Zach Martin. So it's okay. like our, our dads can be good general managers. Yeah, just <laughs> like like my dad has said to me my whole life, like just take the freaking lineman, just build the trenches, just always be building the trenches. And you know what? ABT, always, oh, a, a, ABBT, always be building the trenches. It's not a bad strategy. Just keep building those freaking trenches out. And you know what? As, as long as you're prioritizing the defensive tackles can rush the passer, though, I want to keep that in as a caveat. I, I'm done with the Dexter Lawrence's high in these drafts. Just, Get me pass rushing defensive tackles or don't get me trench guys early. But on the offensive side of the ball, yeah, fucking keep getting them. What if we had taken Quinton Nelson? We wouldn't be disappointed. And that's the thing with Iquano. Like, even if he does end up having to convert to guard, I don't see that as that bad of a thing. Like you could look at it like, oh, you shouldn't be taking a guard at five. But Nelson was worth taking at five. And I don't think he's going to be as good of a guard as Nelson is. I want to make that clear because Nelson is just so technically sound. And that's the same thing that happened with, with Zach Martin. But when I watch Iquanu on the few plays where they have him like pulling in space, just displacing blockers in the run, uh, facing defenders in the run game and just looking so natural and fluid as a puller. I'm like, yeah, this dude can convert pretty easily to guard. And you said he played it already, which I knew. But I mean, he could move back to guard. And it's like, no, you don't. you know, there's no drop off at all. Maybe he's even better. I'm trying to wonder where he's going to go. Honestly, I don't have a great feel because when you look at this draft and not to tail away from Iquanu real quick, but I think it's important when we're talking about who's going to be available at five for the Giants and the direction of the draft that they can go. I don't know what the Lions, the Texans, or the Jets are going to do because I feel like they can go in a lot of directions. And because there isn't clear cut, you know, Trevor Lawrence in this draft, we could see some more peculiar picks up in the top four that could put the Giants in a position where they could trade back or they could sit there and take that top guy. I just think there's so many scenarios that can happen in those first four picks that are going to alter the trajectory of the Giants going forward, really. I completely agree with you. When you have a draft class like this without these set picks and without the set quarterbacks at the top, weird things can happen and weird things may happen. And, you know, some of the weird things that could happen to me and my mind are that could happen, at least in my predictions are, I could see Trayvon Walker going in the top four, which people yeah. don't see happening. Personally, I'd welcome it. I do see the athletic upside with Walker, but I just think I'm going to be out on him for the Giants. I think I'd just rather, ultimately, I'd even rather Jermaine Johnson than him. I don't I don't want the risk right now, and I don't want the lack of production type of guy. I know it's not all his fault, the lack of production, but I just think I there's other guys who are a little less athletic on tape. Not even on tape, a little less athletic in my mind, testing-wise, but not too far off on tape from an athleticism standpoint, and the production's there. Even a guy like Jermaine Johnson, I know he's older, but still, I still liked him a lot. So, I would welcome that. I mean, Malik Willis could go in the top four. That would surprise people, but I would love that. I'd welcome that. Problem is, I don't see any of these receivers going in the top four. They're just not good enough in my mind. Like, even Drake London and Garrett Wilson, to me, they're not elite top four type guys. Like, when you go top four at receiver, you should be going Julio Jones, a six foot four prospect with insane speed. Like, you need the freak freak. Even Corey Davis, I thought was going to be that, but just turned out to be too injured and not fast enough at the next level. Um, but, you know, as far as that goes, who else could be a surprise? I don't think I have too many others in my mind. Do you have any others? In terms of surprises, I think Jermaine Johnson can be a surprise. You already said Trayvon Walker. That's somebody that I agree with, the quarterback. I think the only, like, if the Jets are dead set on a receiver that they want, because we know the Jets want a receiver after they failed to trade for Tyreek Hill. If they're dead set on the receiver they want to draft, and maybe they want to draft him at 10 and then see what edge is around a little bit later or see who's around at or draft him at four and then see who's around a little bit later. So that would be one that would be surprising to me, but I would, I don't want to say I would understand it. Cause I agree with you. I, I think there, there isn't a top wide receiver, but uh, that's one that I feel like could be like the curveball If there's going to be one. That's a great call because the jets could just look at it and be like, we need this wide receiver. We don't care. We have a super high evaluation on him. And that'd be great. If we get like Malik Willis or Trayvon Walker in the top four and Drake London or, and any of those receivers, That'd be such a nice buy for the Giants. It'd be such a nice, just just keep on shifting some of those guys back um, so they can get what they want. But let's go ahead and turn this debate a little bit now into 
Iguanu versus Charles Cross. And I went into this thinking I was going to be team cross. I really did, Nick. I felt like I'm always for the pass protecting guys more than the run blocking guys. I think they translate better. I like the guys who could who are more who are more athletic and can move better. But then I watched Iguanu. I was like, this dude is hyper athletic. This dude has great feet. This dude can move. And now I'm team Iguanu for sure. I think there is even more of a drop-off than I expected between those two. And I wasn't expecting much drop, but I still do like Cross, former five star. I think he's getting better each year of his career. I think the run blocking can improve for Cross, but I am Iguano over Cross. I'm curious to get your take there. But I, th- I want to first pose this to you, Nick. This debate kind of reminds me in some ways of the 2020 draft debate between two players, Jedrick Wills and Tristan Wirfs. And in this scenario, even though they're not the same players, let me make that clear. But in this scenario, Icky Iguano to me is Tristan Wirfs. And um, Charles Cross to me is Jedrick Wills. And I kind of feel like it's a similar comparison to that class. You get the smooth pass protecting guy on film like Cross in Jedrick Wills, or you get the hyper athletic guy who has some things to worry about you, some warts on tape and in Tristan Wirfs, like Tristan Wirfs had in, in Iquanu, but just that next level athleticism with the feet, with the wrestling background, with the ability to maybe just have it click in year one, like it did for Wirfs, and then immediately look at it, look back at it like, oh yeah, those two aren't even really in the same class. Because right now, I don't think, in my mind, Wirfs and Wills are not in the same class. And Wills hasn't even been bad, but Wirfs has just been that good. Yeah, I loved Wills coming out, to be honest too, because those feet were so smooth. And that's a similar comparison to Charles Cross, I think the players are different, like you said, and obviously they come from wildly different systems in Alabama and what Mike Leach is doing at Mississippi State. But I kind of like the comparison because you are looking at these two players, Charles Cross, Ikemi Kwano, Charles Cross, light on his feet, excellent pass protector. This is a passing league. So I think teams will lean in that direction. I think he has some dog in him. He wasn't asked to run block all that often, but there were you know reps on his film where he would kick out in a space and he would absolutely annihilate smaller defenders. And he's just very, very good with his individual hand use. I, I feel like it, it's not overly aggressive, but that also doesn't lead to balance issues and leaning. Everything that we talked about on this podcast, but Iquanu... And this is similar to Werfs because I felt like Werfs and I only got to watch, I think, like one of Werfs games and then I all 22 and it was Michigan. So he, he was getting beat by Josh Uche a solid amount in that game. But I remember like I questioned his angles and stuff like that. So similar to Iquanu, but you can see how dominant Iquanu is as a run blocker already. And then you project, can he develop these? There's no way for me to know. But if you have a really good offense, the traits to be a pass protector. There's no way for me to know that. But if you get him with a good offensive line coach and someone who can teach him, you can prognosticate very, very high upside there. And there is still a lot of hesitation with Charles Cross kind of coming over from the air raid. I mean, he's going to see different types of defenses. He's going to run block a little bit more. And both of these players don't have a ton of experience at right tackle so you have to also look at that i think it's a i think it's a closer argument than i initially thought and probably for the different reasons that you felt i felt like i was going to love Iquanu a lot more than cross but it's closer than i originally expected and i put that out on twitter and we had a bunch of good debates with a few of the listeners and it was uh really fun but i don't want to reveal my hand quite yet but uh i think it is closer than than i originally anticipated yeah, it's funny. We went opposite directions. I originally thought it would be closer, but I I, I don't know. I, I like Cross a lot. This is not to say I don't like Cross. Like I'm completely fine with the Giants taking Cross at seven. 100% fine with it. And to be honest, I think at this point, I'd rather have Cross at seven than a player like Trayvon Walker. Just like a total upside swing like that, that I feel like I can see some potential downfalls to drafting a player like Trayvon Walker personally. But for me, it ultimately just comes down to two things with with Iquanu. it's the upside like you said the ability the, the coach ability that i think he has but also the feet like if the feet weren't the way what i expected them to be or were what i expected them to be because i thought he was going to have some slow feet in pass protection i thought those were going to be his issues Iquanu. but to me the issues that he has in pass protection you could tell me if i'm wrong or you could just add on to this and say well i have this issue that i don't know is so coachable but to me his pass protection issues are coachable And so when you look at that and you think about it from that standpoint, like what's coachable versus what's not, I think there's a lot more coachable traits 
left on the bone, I guess I would say, for Iki Iguanu than there is for Cross, who is a great athlete. Like, like you said, there's some fun film of Cross when he's in space as a pass or in like a, in a quick hitting pass play, and you see him just level these defensive backs and just take them out and get to the second level super fast too. His footwork is freakish. Like you, it almost looks like a tight end with his feet cross, but I also don't feel like Icky's feet are too far behind. In addition to everything else, he has that insane length, that insane strength, that insane punch, the speed, the raw speed, the, the, uh, the quickness. And that just, there's too many more traits that I see for Iguanu that lead me to believe he has that all pro potential versus kind of that, um, you know, like borderline pro bowl, solid starter type potential. I agree with you 100%. And my pick is Iquanu. I don't know if we're revealing that quite yet. But for me, I would go Iquanu over across. I thought I would like Iquanu a lot more. I like him a decent amount more. I have a higher grade on him because I do see those deficiencies. But I still think there is a high floor with Iquanu. Usually you look at a player like Iquanu and you'd be like, oh, man, that guy's got bust potential. Ready can't pass. I, I think that this kid will learn it. And at the worst case scenario, you have a possible – pro bowl type of guard who can step in i mean it's undeniable the amount of traits that he possesses that we've gone over throughout this entire podcast whereas cross i think cross is a good player and i think he's very good in pass protection i think he might have a higher bust rate than someone like an equano so i think it would be the safer pick to go with equano even though cross has the desired traits of being a better and more polished pass protector by a, by a solid amount, by a considerable amount right now, pass protection is king. But I would still go Iquano for all those yeah, reasons. Yeah, I think that's a fair thing. I think he, when you, especially when you consider what he could immediately be as a guard, I think there is a, ultimately a higher floor for Iquano. And for Cross, like that may not mean weeks one through nine of their rookie seasons. Like weeks one through nine, you may see these two players playing the same position. Let's say two teams draft them to play the same position. And Iquanu's has like those bad PFF grades and he has like those bad reps on tape where he's getting destroyed in a pass rush. Somebody puts on a move on him and he's just not, you know, he doesn't have the same kind of experience cross has entering the NFL and cross went against better pass rushers his entire career in the SEC. That's just the fact of the matter. That's, that's the nature of playing in the ACC versus the SEC. But ultimately, as you look at this as more of a long-term thing, like anyone you take at five or seven in any draft class, you need them to be blue chip guys who are going to make your franchise, like Andrew Thomas, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley. These guys are supposed to have a second year, second contract with your team. That's the whole point of taking somebody in the top ten. Otherwise, trade back. If you if you're not sure of that, you shouldn't be taking any of these players. They need to be your core. And so, if you're talking about the core, I'm less worried about those first nine, eight, nine, ten games in a rookie season where I think maybe Cross may look like a better player. And long term, I think Icky has much better chance of being the better player and having the higher floor and the higher ceiling. So. I'm also going with Icky here. I like him a lot. I'm back on the train. I wasn't expecting to be here because there were some, because at the beginning I was just kind of just watching some breakdowns and seeing, and I hadn't watched him yet. And, but I saw a lot of people show me like things that he was doing wrong in past production, just areas where I was like, man, if you put this guy starting day one for the giants at right tackle, it's going to look ugly at times. Like Eric flowers level ugly at the beginning, but as I watched more, I felt less like that. And I felt more like he's just somebody who needs really good coaching at the next level. And, we're hoping the Giants can give him that. Like, we don't know much about their coaching situation really across the board because they have none of these guys have put anything on, you know, none of these guys have coached the Giants really, but we have high expectations. And to me, obviously, I want to ground that, Nick, because we've had high expectations for every single coaching staff so far. Like, if yeah. you listen back to our prior podcast, oh, we love Mark Colombo. Oh, we got Hal Hunter. Look at the outside <laughs> of Hal Hunter. Like, no, no, we did not like, well, I did not like Hal Hunter. Mark Colombo, though, we we, we, we like that addition. No, 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 not Hal Hunter. We, we obviously hated Hal Hunter. Sorry. I don't know why I said Hal Hunter. I was thinking of Rob Sale. Obviously, oh, we knew yeah. how Hunter was going to be an epic disaster. Everyone in their right mind knew that was a total joke, cronyism hired by Shermer. Got some guy who was out of the NFL and we was last in the NFL. He was horrible. But Rob Sale, we went into last year like, oh, my God, did you see what Rob Sale did with that Louisiana Tech offensive line? And so, you know what I mean? Like, it, the offensive line coach stuff, I, we can get excited about it. Fans are going to always get excited about it. But I, I'm in, after these last two failures, I want to call them, not failures, but fair to call them failures guys really didn't progress under sale or colombo um i i think i'm gonna wait no no and i think that's completely fair to be honest and you know what one other thing and i think that's interesting that's kind of i would say tangentially related to the debate between equanu and cross is how we view evan neal next to these two because i feel much safer about neal than i do about cross and equanu and that's why we that's why he's my number one 
tackle. And I say that while also acknowledging that I think Iquanu has a, a much higher ceiling than Neil. And that's not to say that Neil doesn't have a high ceiling. I think Neil can be a really good player. But I think if Iquanu figures out that pass protection, man, he could be like a, a top five tackle in the league if he fixes that because he is so dominant as a run blocker. Like if you're looking at these three tackles and you have to look at both of their run blocking and pass protection and then identify one as the best trait of the bunch, it's Ikem Iquanu's run blocking. And I think it's considerable. And then the next is probably Charles Cross's pass protection, right? And then it's probably Evan Neal's pass protection, Evan Neal's run blocking. And then you can then probably what? Iquanu's pass blocking or, or Cross's run blocking. I'm not really 100% sure uh, what, the, what the tail end of that would be. But I think that's an interesting thought exercise, no? It is. But I would even take it a step further, Nick, because all those things are based on, and it's not a bad exercise, but all those things are based on what we've seen so far and what they are right now. But I would say, as like a projection standpoint, it'd be interesting to do an exercise too, because from the pure athleticism standpoint, and again, Evan Neal is my number one tackle in this class. He's the guy I would take mostly because I think he could step right in and help them. And I just think over the long term, he's a safer bet. But yeah. Iquanu, like you said, definitely has a high ceiling. Because if you look at it, taking away like what who's the best pass player, who's the best run block, which I like, it's a cool exercise. How about this? Just from who's the best athlete standpoint, I think I'm watching a completely different athlete out there when I watch Iquanu versus Neil and when I watch cross and cross is a good athlete, like cross has crazy good footwork, tight end, like footwork and in space, he's fun to watch too. But when you watch Iquanu, man, the speed, the power, the explosiveness, the quick feet that lead to explosiveness, the way he displaces defenders, how he can move at that size. Like, he's insanely athletic by far to me, the best athlete of these tackles and a next level from that standpoint. So if you look at all those traits, kind of like people did, I guess the bucks, for example, with Tristan Wirfs, and they're like, look, yeah, there's some bad tape of Wirfs, but we're going to get him with our coaches and we're going to fix that immediately. Or we feel like we can fix that immediately. And the absolute strength from this wrestling background, this explosiveness, the speed, all of those traits make him have a higher ceiling. I agree with that. I think it's weird, too, because you look at Evan Neal. This is somebody who was first on Bruce Feldman's freak list. He played probably around like 350, and then he came into the combine looking like a 280-pound, 337-pounder. It's wild to see. He carries his weight very, very well. Hey, you see him doing you see him doing the box split jumps and you're like, dude, this guy is a freak athlete. But I would agree, man, when you turn on the film and you, and you see how icky moves, there there is a, a slight different speed to it. I don't think Neil is lumbering or slow or no, any no. of that. But I do see just a slight different feel with Iquano and especially how he employs his power because Neil is powerful and he finishes and he has a lot of dog. When you break down his tape next to Iquanu's in terms of the power, it's it's not comparable, man. Like Iquanu, I don't know what it is. It could just be just pure core strength. There are dozens and dozens of plays of him literally just making contact and tossing 250-pound yeah. guys to the ground. Like just tossing on the side. It's wild, dude. Yeah, and that's kind of what, yeah, and that's where I mean, because look, Evan Neal in his own right is a freak athlete to carry that kind of weight. It, at that at, and look like that, move like that, look like that at that kind of weight. It's crazy. And like you said, he came in looking at tight end. Go watch his comment. I apologize for the ridiculous car that just drove by if you heard that in the background. But you know, don't you hate those people who rev the engines, Nick? Do we've talked about on board with this? Yeah, we talked about it on the podcast. So, a quick side note I live off the 101 in Arizona, right? And then I live off of another road that not a lot of people drive on. The 101 is the main highway in the valley. People all the time will do it. I, I don't, I can't fathom it. They'll do it at like three o'clock in the morning. Like I'll never, and I'm sorry if you're this person, I will never, Dan, be the person who revs my engine and says, look at me, everybody. Look how cool my car is in the middle of a suburban neighborhood when people are trying to sleep. It's, it's one ridiculous. of the most inconsiderate things I've ever, just it's, whatever. It's, it's truly absurd. But back to this, I'll say this, like, Neil has, is a crazy athlete in his own right. I don't, and I even cross to me is a wild athlete in his own right, just because of the ability to have that kind of footwork at, at almost, you know, at that size, at that weight is crazy. Even if he doesn't carry it the same way Neil does. And if, even if he's not as explosive and tape as, as an icky is, but, and that's probably why Neil is my OT one, but I'll say this. I won't be sad if all tackles are on the board. Let's say some weird scenario happens and it's like Malik Willis at two, Aiden Hutchinson at one or any combination, Kayvon or Trayvon Walker and Kayvon Thibodeau. Let's just say something weird happens, right? And those are the first four picks. Giants have their choice of all these tackles. I won't be mad if they take Iquanu. I think the only one where I'll be, if they had a choice of all three, I would be a little surprised 
if they took cross, it wouldn't be my pick. But as far as the Kwanu versus Neil goes, even though Neil's my OT one, I, I'd be like, fuck it. I'm sorry, excuse me. I'd be like, F it, man. You're taking the highest upside tackle in Iguana. I, I I agree with that, to be honest, because the upside is there. And if that scenario were to play out, I think the Giants got to get on the phone and, and look to trade five and see what they can get and see if they can get next year capital yeah. for five for people who want to jump. Because say, even if someone wants to jump for whatever reason, say the Saints want to jump for whatever reason, you know, they don't have a first round pick next year to get a tackle. Two of those tackles go off the board, and I think you can feel comfortable drafting who you want at seven. Now, I would agree. Ideally, I want Neil or Iquanu, specifically Neil, but I would not complain about Iquanu over Cross. But I don't think Cross is a bad player either if you're comfortable with the translation from the air raid to what you're trying to do, Brian Dable's trying to do. And if you're also comfortable with the right tackle thing, which is something I can't necessarily weigh in on. But if anybody wants to see great Iquanu film, just a little side note here. Check out Mississippi State, okay? That is a SEC school, and there were so many plays on that film, Dan, where they ran boundary outside stretch runs to Iquanu's side, and I think on every single one of those plays, Iquanu buried a dude. It's unbelievable. I know. It's just crazy to watch him just bury these people on tape. It's so fun. Um, but, yeah, I want to end with this. I am still Neil, Neil OT1. Give me Neil. I want Neil, but – the quantum man, he really surprised me. And, he, and I was really excited and happy to watch him and be like, you know what? I really like this guy. And I, w- I went in thinking this was going to be like a total, not disaster, but just somebody who I was like, I thought was a bit overrated just because of the pass bro stuff. But it, to me, it's correctable. It's coachable. And the athleticism is just through the roof. Uh, and I'll, so that, I'll, yeah, go ahead. I'll say this too. If the Giants were to, I think, and I think you would agree with this. I think the most entertaining tackle prospect to take is a Quanu, and I don't think it's close. I think in terms of how entertaining RL 22 will be, bro, did you see that block? Oh, yeah. Jesus, bro, that's, it would be a Quanu, man. Cause he's wild. Yeah. By far the most entertaining of the three without even, without even a, a doubt. So good point there. I like that too. It's fun to think about, but that's all we have on today's podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the big blue banter podcast. We will speak to you tomorrow or whenever you're listening to this. I'm sure we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks again. Have a great rest of your week or weekend. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.